Zach off the record on the QT and very hush hush. It is the disenfranchised podcast, that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me as always, just the facts. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. How are we doing, buddy? I am doing okay. It's been a couple weeks. I'm glad. It's it's always good to see you. It's always good to see you as well. It's it's when we can get Brett on an episode, we know it's going to be a good time. Thank you. I appreciate that. I well, I do miss you when you're gone, buddy. I do. And uh, you know who else misses you when you're gone? Uh, it's it, this may be the city of angels, but he hasn't got any wings. It's Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hi. How's it going? Not bad, buddy. How are you? You know what? This today is a good moment in my life. It's good. It's been a good present. Of course, is is everything burning around me? Sure, but mm-hmm. I have had a great day. I mean, I mean, today was going to be the day we were going to throw it back to you. So I'm glad it's been a good one for you so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. Both it's, impressive it's... and disgusting. Yep, you're welcome. Um, that is my brand. And uh, speaking of uh, my brand, actually, this isn't about my brand at all. This is about uh, Tucker's brand because uh, we had a five Thursday month last month, but we had a theme month. So we postponed Tucker's choice to the beginning of July. And so, Tucker, what movie are we discussing today? We are discussing out this... your Blu-rays like we can see those on an auditory medium. <laughs> it's not for them. It's for you, Stephen. Oh, oops. Um, but not for me. Only for Stephen. Well, no, also for you, Brett, but more so Stephen, <laughs> just because he's into this sort of thing, you know? I do like um, physical media. I also enjoy physical media. Thank you. Okay, well then it's it's equally for you, Brett. That's my bad. I'm sorry. Thanks. I misjudged. I didn't I didn't read the room very well and I apologize. It is equally for you, Brett. Maybe even more so for you now that I think about it. Uh Good. don't ask me to explain that. Let's move on. <laughs> we are we this week we watched one of the best movies ever made by Evolved Man, and that film is uh what was it nineteen ninety eight when this bitch came out? Ninety seven, mm-hmm. something like that. Ninety eight or no ninety seven, you're right. L.A. Confidential. 1997's L.A. L.A. stands for Los Angeles Confidential. Los Angeles. It's not La Confidential. It's not a, a no. Latin American film. It's, uh, wouldn't La that be Confidential? Confidential. Yeah, I was going to say, it. Have to, you'd have to move it around a bit there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Los Angeles. Go ahead, please. Directed by Curtis Hansen, written by Brian Helgland and Curtis Hansen based on a novel by James Elroy and starring Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito, David Strathairn, Ron Rifkin, Ron motherfucking Rifkin, um, God, Paul Gilfoyle, Matt McCoy, Simon Baker is in this movie? Yeah, what? Land of the Dead's Simon Baker. What The yeah, Mentalist's dude. own Simon Baker. Mentalist, I don't care. Land of the Dead, Simon Baker, yes, is in this movie. Can what a cast. What a picture. You don't even have to dare us to say it this week, Stephen. We straight up know it is a great picture. It's a great cast. It's a great look. It was nominated for Best Picture. <sighs> Yeah, uh, it lost, which is to... why we were going to do it in January, but we did not. We did not. 
because uh, life uh, found a way. Like it do. Like it do. And um, so we are going to talk about it now. Um, Cheers to that. Yeah. So I'll, I will drink to that also. I have my, my beverage here. Mm-hmm. Cheers. I've got water as usual. Cheers, fellas. Yay. That was a hoot. Because you're drinking out of your Rocco's Modern Life class. Right on. <laughs> as is tra- in accordance with tradition. And the law. Podcast law, yes. Um, but yeah, so we are talking about uh, 1997's L.A. Confidential, a film that was nominated for Best Picture but lost to, let me just check my notes here, a little movie called Titanic. Are you familiar uh, with this film? Yes. you heard of this one? Culturally irrelevant at the this? moment. You guys seen this? You heard about this? You guys seen this? You heard about this? Yeah, culturally <laughs> irrelevant right now, Titanic. Uh, oof. Woo. Uh, ooh. Yeah. Um, some some would say eat the rich. Others would say um, let them crush implode. Them, crush them under the weight of uh, extreme pressures of the deep. Um, yeah. But there you go. Um, oof. Yeah. But uh, no, we're talking about LA Confidential today. Um yeah, it's a great movie. What uh, what do you, what, yeah. what do you want from me? What do you want from me, Tucker? Um, you are the one who insisted, me demanded that we cover this. Um, what is your history with LA Confidential? Um, what do you know of it? When did you discover it? Uh, tell us, tell us about it. Strap in, boys. Uh, I'm buckled. The, I'm strapped. This is a. a <laughs> I'll bet you are. This Hey-o. is a. a, a um, this is a, a formative story of of a young of a young Tukey finding his way in the world. So I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that it's not boring because it is a very personal story. Um, it's not very exciting, but I, I really want to tell you guys because it is the reason I've seen this film, and it is a I saw it in a unique way. So when I was a young warthog. When Steven, you you're not were gonna... a young wart Thank hog. Thank you. Um, so when I was but a lad of about 17, um, I met this gal at a theater conference in Muncie, Indiana, high school theater conference. So once again, I will mention and, and repeatedly mention during the story that I was 17 years old because I will be talking about high school girls. Um, so as a 17-year-old, a, a young 17-year-old man in high school. I met this girl at a high school theater conference, myself being 17. Uh, okay, that's it. Everybody's got it now, right? Okay. Um, so you're 21 at the time okay. of the story. No, it. no, damn it, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to go back to jail, Stephen. I can't go back to jail, man. Damn. <laughs> I can't go back to prison. Don't send, don't send me back, man. Don't you do it. Uh, anyway, I met this gal, and like we really got along, and uh, she was from Carmel High School. Uh, so she lived in Carmel. Her family was fabulously well-to-do. Um, as, as is generally the case with most people who live mm-hmm. in Carmel. And they had if just from moved. from Central Indiana, you know. Uh, her father worked for Thompson Electronics. He was a real big deal. Like, he designed a, a lot of, like, really, like, game-changing phone systems and stuff back in the day. Um, and so they had kind of moved around with the company for a long time. In fact, they had just moved six months prior from Paris, France. Hmm. to Carmel, Indiana. Um, Which is different so, somehow than Paris, Texas. Is that accurate? Yes, it's extremely different, yes. 
Okay, interesting. Uh, right. But anyway, this gal and I became fast friends, and then we began dating, and like you know, like you do. Um, and I eventually lived with her family for a while, but that's a whole different story. Um, yeah. Um, so in their house, uh, I think they had 12 bedrooms and I think seven bathrooms. Um, how many of those did you occupy? I am not counting the basement because the basement I think is bigger than any house I've ever actually lived in. Uh, but anyway, upstairs, uh, by her sister's room, there was a purple room. And the purple room was called the purple room because the walls were painted purple. So it was a purple room. It was I do a, wanna, it was, I, if I could, if I can make a quick interjection here for those yes, who did yes. not grow up in central Indiana, if you've ever seen the show parks and recreation, Carmel, Indiana is Eagleton in parks and rec. I mean, yeah, it is based it on is. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. I just wanted to, but then just to, for some context for those who might not be familiar with central Indiana, because I feel like that's given what you've said about the place where this young lady lived, I feel it's relevant. Uh, yeah. It, like I said, her family was fabulously well to do. And I mean every word of that. Um, but they had a room that was purple because the walls were painted purple. And as everyone knows, um, Television in North America is coded different than it is in Europe. In North America, we have what's called NTSC, and that's the way that the pixels are interlaced on a CRT television. This is all CRT stuff. Um, it's the way the pixels are interlaced and the way that they're drawn on the screen. Uh, in Europe, they have what's called PAL, which is the same thing, only slightly different to where it's not they're not compatible with each other. So they had a PAL television with a PAL VCR and all of the VHS tapes that they bought when they lived in Paris. One of those tapes was LA Confidential. Mm. So my first experience with this movie was on a PAL VHS on a PAL television in a purple room with French subtitles. Wild. And uh, and I I've I've just loved it ever since then. And what's great about this movie is that it's so good that even though I do have very specific memories attached to certain points in my life about this film, they don't always go hand in hand. I can watch the movie and not even like reminisce about that stuff if I want to. Like in this instance where I wanted to share this with you guys because, like I said, it was a formative time in my life. I, I did. I did live with them for a while, and I think the the influence of both of her parents and the way that they treated me has has kind of molded me in a positive way into who I am today. Like I don't know who I would be without them, honestly. Right. They helped me out in a, in a time where not a lot of people wanted to help me out, my parents and family included, and they took a chance on me, and um, I, I really, really, it's it's a big deal. And this this movie is all part of that. It's all so it's whole, it's kind of all into that cake. thing. Yes, yes. Right but it's also its own thing. Like I said, it's also its own thing. Like it's still just one of the best movies ever. So it's, it's a, got that it's going a, for it too, which is nice. It is a very good film. Yes, uh, Brett. Where did you first uh, happen upon this one? How did you how did you come to the to to sit at the table of L.A. Confidential? Um, for this podcast, 
on Sunday. Hell yeah. Damn, Hell son. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, had you had you any level of familiarity with it prior to that? Um, no. <laughs> okay. I like how you leaned in like you were at like a congressional hearing or something. <laughs> you know? Like, like uh, <clears throat> um, I plead the fifth. I, I, I do not recall that, no. I um, cannot right. comment on that at this time. Right on. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Uh, this is a movie I come back to about once a decade, usually. Um, and then uh, in the in the interim time, I will forget how good it is. And then I'll come back to it and go, oh, this is really good. Um, so that's kind of what happened this time. Uh, I, I first saw this in college uh, when I was kind of trying to do the, uh, you know, the, the young budding cinephile thing. And, you know, one of your friends says, oh, have you seen LA Confidential yet? And I'm like, no. Uh, I was also regrettably at that time a fan of Kevin Spacey. Um, I mean, Sorry. we didn't know. We didn't know. He's a great actor. We didn't know that he liked to diddle little boys. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. And God help us now that we do, honestly. Um, uh, but I was I was a big fan of um, The Usual Suspects, uh, who, which was also directed by a terrible person. Um, this yes. movie, not. But, I mean, both star and director of Usual as Suspects. As far as we know. Terrible people. As far as we know. True. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, that one uh, was kind of my early exposure to uh, Kevin Spacey um, and then uh, caught this one and uh, really enjoyed it. But I will come back to this one about once every 10 years or so. Uh, so this is probably the third time I've seen it. And uh, this is just, it, it's good. Like, it's just a really good, like neo noir that doesn't lean too heavily into the noirish elements. Like you would expect, a movie like this to really lean into those noirish elements um, to film itself in such a way that like a forties or fifties noir would be filmed. And this one avoids that in an, a way that I find really interesting because it, I think in some, in some ways the filmmaking is rather unremarkable in this movie. Uh, but in other ways, I think that's a feature, not a bug. So I, I, I find that kind of interesting in that regard, but um, yeah, damn it. If this movie is not just a really fun watch. And it's so engaging too. something I like about this movie. And I watch it a little more often than you, Steven, probably every year, every couple years. Right. Um, <clears throat> I might need to start watching it more frequently, honestly, because it's, it's real good. The thing about it is that the, what goes on in this film takes so many twists and turns mm -hmm. and goes so many places, um, that I get it and I enjoy it but I never remember how it all goes down. I always remember what happens at the end. Right. But the I middle remember is just like, like, I cannot remember how this is all connected. Like, I remember all the scenes. Yeah. But I remember, like, I remember all the players. I, watch it, I know yeah, all the pieces I, on the board. Yeah. Every time I watch it, it's still, there's still a little bit of newness there. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's how that goes to there. And this is here. Yep. Okay. Got it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Brett, as someone who was watching this and just, again, as we always do, we're going to spoil the fuck out of this. So just be mm -hmm. warned it's going to happen. But Brett, as someone who came to this movie for the first time, I, uh, for this recording, I'm kind of curious as to like what your thoughts were as to like how everything fit together, how it all played out, what you expected to happen versus what actually happened. Like, would you, could you speak to that for a little bit? Well, it's not going to be very much because when I watch movies like this, and even even when it comes to like horror movies with like intricate plots, I kind of shut my brain off because oh, okay, I hate the people that try to figure it out 
and like they're like you know about 10 minutes before the finale they've solved it and they're like oh i know what's going to happen i hate those people Sorry. um they that man i don't i'm not a fan either keep it to yourself that's all I, I do you can do, do that. that just keep it to yourself um let brett take the ride man let him <laughs> my, take the ride but i was in my in my defense i was raised by my father who was exactly that kind of film watcher <laughs> who would have it figured out within usually within 10 minutes of the thing starting he'd be go, oh this is that guy's it, it he's he's it's that guy and be like have you seen this before he's like no it's just really predictable <laughs> so in fair in in my defense that is where i get that but yeah and, and that's what the annoying thing is because everybody that does that says that i don't know if you do steven you might not but everybody that i've known other than you who does that says oh it's so predictable of course i figured it out no you're just an asshole like you you spent the entire movie trying to figure it out that doesn't mean it's predictable well, instead and, of um, enjoying the film yeah there, i'm there just have, i'm just enjoying it i want to there sit there and enjoy it and take the ride man strap there in have, and take the ride there have been instances where i have figured out the twist within the first minute and a half and i'm literally sitting there the whole time trying to figure out if i'm right uh secret window was one of those uh the stephen king johnny really? depp film, yeah johnny secret depp window. john Turturro. yeah is in that one yeah i i, I had that one figured out within like the first two minutes and I had to keep it to myself because I was watching it with the girl I was dating at the time. And she was like, oh, you're going to love the twist ending on this. And I was like, I know what it is already. And, <laughs> and she... see, that's so frustrating. <laughs> if I had been that woman, I would have been so pissed off at you. Like, she, was, she was flabbergasted uh, that like, I had figured I... out. But I didn't like I was I was legitimately sitting there the whole time trying to figure out if I was right. So I was like watching the movie, trying to see if there were any holes in my theory and I didn't see any. And then at the end I was actually right. So, and then she was like, Oh, Steven, I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah. Doubt that happened, happened, right? Something like that. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. You're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like if I'm, if I'm showing you a movie that is a twist at the end and you tell me you've figured it out already, I'm going to punch you in the face. Like I'm, I'm showing you this really good movie that has a really good twist at the end. And you've just ruined it for yourself you, already. You know the you know like, the best way to keep me from doing that, Brett. That? Don't tell me it has a twist in it. Don't tell me there's a twist, and I won't be looking for one. What the twist? It shouldn't matter, man. We just watch movies differently. That's fine. I we guess, can agree to yeah, disagree here. We just watch movies differently. It's okay. It's, I, I think <laughs> I think that's well established on this podcast. Up to, uh, it up is. Up to this point, it is. Long time yeah. listeners know this. Yes. We watch movies yes. differently and we watch them for different reasons. So exactly. that's why that's why it makes for a good podcast, you guys. I agree. Because we all have slightly different opinions. Sometimes wildly different opinions, but always at least say. slightly different opinions. Sometimes yeah. we line up pretty solidly and sometimes we don't. And that's what makes for the conversation, right? Yes. It would be so Absolutely. boring if we just agreed all the time. Yeah, that would mean it's so, not at all. So Brett turns his brain off. So, so what, what, how did you enjoy the ride then? I guess for, on this movie. I mean, it was great. Cause I mean, when I say I shut my brain off, it's not like, I'm, you know, you're not, not like, like you're not, you're not <laughs> yeah, working. You're not working. At, you're not using the mental capacity. You're, you're, you're engaged in the film. You're not trying to work out the math to figure out what's going on and who's behind. Like it I all. said, you're taking right. the ride. You're taking yeah. the ride. I'm in, I'm enjoying it from scene to scene. I'm going, man, I can't wait to see how this plays out. I'm not going, I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just like, I wonder how this goes plays out. Um, yeah. So yeah. And in, in that sense, I quite enjoyed it. Right on. I thought it was great. 
Yes. I man, this movie it is it's good. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Like what what kind of, they Curtis Hansen had the option of like the studio really wanted a big name, really wanted a big star to lead the movie. Uh Curtis Hansen fought them on that, but they like cut his budget significantly, so he really couldn't hire one. So he decided to hire three relatively no-name actors, the exception being Kevin Spacey, because he had won an Oscar a couple years earlier for The Usual Suspects, the aforementioned Usual Suspects. Uh, but Russell Crowe really did not have much of a of American film career up to this point. All he had done is Romper Stomper at this point, hadn't he? Uh, 97. So before, I mean, he gets his That's start. That's how he got the job. I, I believe it. I mean, Romper Stomper's 92, so he's done a few other things. Love and Limbo in 93, Silver Brumby, but just mostly... Nothing a, that anyone gives a shit about. A bunch of, honestly, just a bunch of Australian films until 1995, Brett. And do you know what he does in 1995? A movie that you and I both uh, declare as one of our favorites by one of Is our it, favorite directors. Was it Gladiator? No, he does Gladiator in 2000. Yeah, okay, that's, no, that's that's feel like that would be 1995. Later. He does a little Western movie. Oh, The Quick and the Dead. Called The Quick and Quick the Dead. And the Dead. And then my favorite Sam Raimi film. Uh, whoa, that's a good one. It's, that it's is up there for it's, me too. It's what are you saying five for? We, we talked about no, this already. It's top five for me, but like number one Sam Raimi film. Like that's for coming from a horror guy like you. That is a bit. Okay. Okay, uh, Steven, what's your number horror. one? What's your number one Sam Raimi film? Spider-Man Two. Simple Plan. You know what? Here's the thing: Sam Raimi has made way more good movies than bad movies. <laughs> I know. And then also, here's the thing: like I've, I've been, and maybe this, I've been influenced in a in a bad way, but because I think when we when we did originally talk about this, it was probably Evil Dead Two. I think is what I chose as my favorite Sam Raimi film. I think so. Yeah. Um, Which but, is my number two. But you know, I've I've been introducing um, my girlfriend to the Evil Dead series, which I think I've talked about before, and she does not have, yeah. she does not like them. Um, she does not also like how they had they seem to have no logic whatsoever. Um, which I think is part of the fun. I think it's part Agreed. of the fun. Yeah, but. But she she needs she's the kind of person that needs logic like I need lore. It's just, I was gonna say yeah. that that's got to be a really fun relationship dynamic when you guys are engaging <laughs> in media. Yeah, no, it, it's been fun. Our conversation about Event Horizon was a grand time. Let me tell you. Oh, oh I can only imagine. <laughs> God, to have been a fly on the wall for that talk. Uh, that was that was that was a, a fun conversation. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I use air quotes, by the way. Um, yeah, Brett, Brett may have had to, like, take a time out. Brett may have had to take a walk around the block. But, like, I mean, she didn't hate Cold it. Shower. It wasn't like the Evil Dead. She didn't hate Event Horizon. She was just frustrated by the lack of logic. Um, I, I believe it. I've, I've seen she, that movie for this podcast, in fact. Yeah. She, she actively hated the remake of Evil Dead. Um, Ooh, really? Thought, thought Evil Dead 2 didn't give you enough time to breathe and was just too much. That's what I love about it. That's the um, point of the movie. That's why it's the ultimate experience in grueling horror. They don't call it that for nothing. <laughs> and um, she thought Evil Dead Rise was just okay. I still haven't seen Evil Dead Rise. So good. It's on. Uh, it's on I, Max right now. So I have Max no excuse. Now. You have no yeah. excuse. Yeah. I don't. Uh, roommate approval. Yeah. Roommate approval. It was so scary. My roommate had to turn it off halfway through and wait until somebody else was in the house to finish it. Oh hell! She loved it. Loved okay. It. I mean, it's great. Right and on. the other thing is, like, she's a big horror fan, but she doesn't like gore. 
So that's the I mean, that's I, too, yeah. I get that. I'm not a big gorehead, so I understand. Um, so, so her opinions, because unlike the Event Horizon conversation, she was making some real good points about Evil Dead. And I was like, I can't argue with that. And that's upsetting me. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, You're right, and I can't handle it. <laughs> I, I couldn't. It I was don't shattering like my whole right world. Now. Like, I love Evil Dead. Why are you ruining it? Uh, <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Second of all, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> but she didn't ruin it. I still love Evil Dead. This uh, as well you should. A Quick and the Dead just kind of overtook it after the Evil Dead rewatch. Like, you know, I keep saying maybe I'll show her the original Evil Dead. Maybe I'll show her Army of Darkness, but she doesn't really have any interest anymore. Mm. So. That's a besides Army of Darkness is more comedy. It anything. is, it is. But um, again, that I think that's what I love about those first three Evil Dead movies is they all kind of take place on a different plane of reality. Well, they're also like they're like slightly different universes in the multiverse because yes. Ash is di- well, everything's different every time. Mm-hmm. Slightly, only slightly. Very even slightly. in the remake, even in the remake, you know, and like the book looks different in every movie. Including yes. the remake and rises, the book looks completely different in each. Depending book. on how much money they have to actually put into production, mm-hmm. yes. Well, and then there's the theory that that's intentional. After this sure. one, it's intentional. Um, and I believe it, that. I yeah, have no problem with that. Actually, there's a there's a line in Evil Dead Rise that maybe indicates that they're going to turn this into like a crossover movie next time. Um, which yes, is I noticed that, and I'm, I'm I here for it. Yeah, me too. I, I won't spoil it for it. you, Stephen. Uh, Thank you. But yeah, there's because I, I am going to watch it. I just don't know when, but I am going to watch yeah. it right now. You're going to watch it as soon as we're done with this podcast. I don't know about that, but I, I let's just pause watch the podcast just, right now. Go watch. I just come put back. it on your calendar, Stephen. You can't not do it if it's on your calendar. I could not do a lot of things on my calendar, in point of fact. But how dare you? I am the worst. Um, first, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, how dare how you? Dare you? <laughs> uh, and then also later on in 95, he's in a little Denzel Washington movie called Virtuosity that I know Brett is also a fan of. Man, I haven't seen that movie since it came out, but I, you better believe I love the shit out of that movie. Yeah, no surprise there. Uh, he's in another movie, uh, 95, called Rough Magic. 95, a good year for Russell Crowe. Four movies in 95, but... Beyond that, not much of uh, not much of someone that people know. So he's kind of an unknown commodity. Still, still small potatoes film. for sure. Exactly, and then you and he's he's Australian, like he's an Aussie. So I, I think James Elroy did like an event in Australia, and someone asked him if they were ever going to make a film out of one of his novels, and he's like, "Well, yeah, they have optioned to LA Confidential, and they actually cast a couple of Aussies," and everyone laughed because no one believed him. Um, and then Guy Pierce was actually like in the audience, so uh, he was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> oh, oh, darn." Oh, wow. um, but Guy Pierce, actually, up to this point, it was also kind of a relative unknown. Um, I'm looking at his I, filmography. I think the now. only thing of note, like he did a lot, but the only thing of note is the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I was going to say Priscilla, Queen of the Desert in '94, which is, is the Australian Tu Wong Fu. If you haven't seen it, it's fabulous. It's really, Tu Wong Fu is the American Priscilla, but yeah, I, yeah, I'll allow that. But yeah, great double feature, you guys. We sh- we I believe I watch both of those movies together. I do need to watch both of those. And honestly, and back your to boy, back Agent like Smith, movie. Agent Smith is in that movie as well. Go, Who's the other guy? Um, uh, let's, let's find out. Where's, where's my guy Pierce? Um, uh, or should I say it. gal? Uh, Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp. Of course, Terrence Stamp. God, I love Terrence mm-hmm. Stamp. 
Malcolm um, McDowell's uh, weird looking brother is what I always think of him as. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's yeah. But I mean, look, Guy Pierce it quickly became one of my favorite actors, actually, after between right this, after this and Memento. He did Memento. Yeah. Like well, right after, right after it was a few years, like 2000, really? he does Memento. Yeah. Three years later. Damn. Uh, he's in the, you know what he is in, in between then, but which also comes out in 2000, the William Friedkin film Rules of Engagement. Cool. And then uh, 2002, he does the Jim Caviezel <laughs> Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, hey, that guy was Jesus in that Mel Gibson horror movie. <laughs> that Mel Gibson gore fest, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. But no, Guy Pierce, fucking great actor. Love Guy Pierce. Like, but for, he's for a while, so he was. good in this too, man. He embodies that character he becomes that man all of the performances in this movie i am convinced that that's just who those people are because all the performances this performances in this movie are top fucking notch every single person in this movie should have been nominated at least nominated for academy award they should have made new categories for like ensemble cast everybody gets one la confidential well that's usually what the sag would do but yeah like i mean look no this movie is the 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 casting is absolutely fantastic it really is like and fuck kevin spacey but i couldn't see anybody else in that role he kills it perfect he's he's very good like uh i think james elroy said he had never seen better self-loathing on film uh this this film did actually get uh several oscar nominations um it got nominated for best picture it won best supporting actress kim basinger uh, was nominated for Best Director. It won Best Writing. Uh, was also nominated for Cinematography, uh, Art Direction, Sound, Film Editing, and Score by the late, great Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. I love a good Jerry Goldsmith score. Love it. The man who wrote The Gremlins Rag can do no wrong. And he did the... He also did the theme song for Star Trek The Next Generation. Dun, 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 dun. That's Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Straight so up my fucking space. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's final frontier. Not the set, not the penultimate frontier. No, the final frontier. Uh no, Jerry Goldsmith fucking rules. And again, one of one of those prolific like soundtrack guys that you're just when you see his name, you're like, okay. I'm in good hands. Like just want to, and again, worked in Hollywood for just decades doing, just cranking out consistently great work. So we stand Jerry Goldsmith. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean um, that, that more of the actors in this film did not get nominations is probably just due to the fact that they probably couldn't agree on who the lead actor they wanted to support was. And it probably ended up splitting between the three. Because I think Russell Crowe's still a couple years away from his first nomination for The Insider, which he should have won for The Insider. The Insider's fucking good. He's so fucking good in The Insider. But they would give it to him the next year for um, uh, for Gladiator as kind of an apology. And then the next year he's in a better movie than Gladiator and gets nominated but doesn't win for that one because he'd already won for Gladiator. Uh What are you going to do? What do you can you do at that point? I don't know that better beautiful mind is a better movie, but I think it's a better performance. Yeah, he is. It's I, I agree with that statement actually. And I, I do, I do love me some Ron Howard, but that movie 
is fine at best. At best. Not best picture worthy. But again, that one was best picture. That was Ron Howard's apology for not even getting fucking nominated for Apollo 13. Which, so, that's fair. Yeah, Apollo 13 slapped. Yeah, agreed. So, I don't know, man. Yes, we're going to do Oscar talk on this episode because this was supposed to be in our Oscar month at the beginning of the year, and it wasn't. So it we're, was. We're circling back is what we do. So if I sound checked out at any point, that would be why. That's that's why. But we can we can wrap that up right now. We can we can move on to other things like I don't know maybe the plot of this movie. Maybe the plot. Who knows? Uh, maybe yeah. maybe we do that in sixty seconds. Maybe. Um, yeah. While Brett preps the D6 of Destiny, I will recount what the plot in 60 is. It is the part of the show where we, at the behest of that D6, uh, do recount the plot of 1997's LA Confidential in 60 seconds or less. Brett will assign us uh, sides of the die. He will roll the die and it will decide which of us will be presenting that plot. Brett, who is what today? Um, I'll be one and two. This is, this is, I liked it, but it was, you know, my first time. Uh, three and four for you, Steven. Five and six, because this is Tucker's, like, favorite film of all time. So Kind of seems that way, yeah. It's way up there. Way, Here way up there. Here we go. Huzzah. And that is a five. That's a Tucker. That me? Yes. Cool. cool. You don't seem to mind this one as much as you did uh, no. some of the ones last month. It's very apropos. There's no way that I can get into the the finer points of this plot in 60 seconds. No. I'm just going to hit the broad strokes, boys. That's what you have to do. I'm going to give you – I've got 30, 60 seconds on the clock. I'm going to give you the 30 and the 10-second warnings, as I always do. When you are ready to begin, the time will start. Okay, okay so um, all these Mexican dudes get arrested for, like, beating up some cops or whatever, even though they didn't do it. So all the drunk cops at the – the Christmas party come down and beat the shit out of them and everybody gets in trouble and Guy Pierce rats on the guys who did it because Guy Pierce is actually like he has integrity, which is weird um, for a cop. Am I right, guys? Am I right? Uh, and so uh, one of the dudes that takes the fall for it is uh, Russell Crowe's partner and he gets killed in this uh, this mass shooting at a well, I didn't call him that then at a, at a diner. And they find out that it was not three young African-American men. It was James Cromwell. And at the end, he's like, that'll do, pig. That'll do. Ten seconds. That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Kim Basinger's there. And Kevin Spacey's like a cop who is he, he consults for a TV show. And the guy from Land of the Dead That's is time. there as a guy that gets fucked over by literally everyone in that film. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, he is the punching bag of the movie. Um, Poor little yeah, guy. I feel so bad for him. Kevin Spacey is a police consultant on basically the alternate universe version of Dragnet. Yeah. Uh, everyone calls him Just the Facts Jack because his name is Jack, and that's apparently the catchphrase on the show. Um, they don't go into as much detail about the show in the film as they do in the book. And uh, that's probably for the best because what you learn, the first thing you learn in the book about the star of that show is gross. Yeah. And it's a thing we would all eventually learn about Kevin Spacey too, which makes it extra gross. Yeah. So, yeah, not, not good. Not good. No, 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 no. Um, but oh, you and can... Danny DeVito. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. 
you were completing a thought though i was starting one so oh, i was just gonna say the guy they play uh, they get to play um uh the 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 star of that show he's he's the guy that played lloyd braun on seinfeld and yeah, he's He's, he's always just he always seems weird when when he, like yeah, there's like there's something else going on with this guy every time you see him you're like what is what is this guy's deal it's just kind of like the look of this particular actor so you it's not spoken in the movie but you you kind of get that vibe just because of who they cast honestly yeah, i can dig it he, he does have a very creepy way about him mm-hmm. i'm sorry danny devito i was just gonna say hey also danny devito is the reporter in this and this Every time I watch this movie, I'm so shocked to see violence being done to Danny DeVito. Yes. I've never seen like actual serious violence done to Danny DeVito except in this movie. And it's it's hey, troubling. It takes me back a bit. It's disturbing. It's yeah. Danny DeVito, man. You don't you don't fuck up Danny DeVito. This is one of the best Danny DeVito performances outside of those directed by himself and Tim Burton, too, I would say. Uh you obviously haven't seen Jack the Bear, but I will agree with most of that statement. I have not seen Jack the Bear. That movie's fucked up, but he's really good in it. It's just really sad. It's not fucked up. It's just really sad. Like, really, I mean, really sad. look, Danny DeVito does fucked up better than pretty much any. I think we talked about this on our – was it the My Little Pony episode where we did an entire sidebar on My Danny DeVito Pony. as a director? Yes, it was that episode. Because okay. both him yeah. and Rhea Perlman were in that movie. Right. Uh, and this is like the third or fourth time we've actually talked about Danny DeVito on this podcast too, which is great. Well, I mean, he is a legend. He is. He's great. He is. And it's, it's really fun to see him in this movie. Um, again, this is the kind of movie that you would expect to see him in, like as like a director or a producer, like man on the moon. He's got kind of a, he plays kind of a similar kind of role in that one. Uh, that he does here, but he's uh, God. I I love it. I love it when Danny gets something good to do. Yep, agreed. He's also, of course, very good on a little show called "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." So he was also amazing in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He is actually that the the below the line cast on that movie is insane because it's like yeah. him, Christopher Lloyd, Brad Dourif, Brad like, Dourif, Brad motherfucking Dourif, Chucky uh. himself. Grima worm tongue motherfucker in the house like hell yes so good a, yeah it's a really good movie so good yeah um but no danny devito is and he's fucking killing it in this movie like absolutely uh, killing it in this movie i love it i love everything he's doing in this is 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 good i think everybody's great in this and even the the minor characters like like russell crowe's partner and and the cop that was working for the the porno guy um mm, even mm -hmm. those are very well cast and very memorable performances even though they're not there very much but they fill their roles very 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 well right. like that's why i this is to me this is a perfect movie there's nothing in this movie that does not push the plot forward there's nothing that isn't just like phenomenal performance wise everybody's firing on all cylinders in this movie it feels guys, a lot it's tighter I'm just than saying. the book um based on just what oh, i've yeah. what i've read yeah, of the book yeah. so far which i'm not done with the book but it just feels everything feels really, a little tighter i think this is if you when you do finish the book steven i think you'll see um that this is kind of a perfect book to film adaptation especially a book that long mm -hmm. because it's able to take the broad strokes and sort of squish them into one part of the story and make that 
an entire narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the same thing uh, that uh, There Will Be Blood did with oil. Mm, it's the same yeah. kind of adaptation where you're just taking a little piece of it, but you're making it an entire narrative and you're taking things from all over the book. Right. And it, I mean, that that tracks because like the main the main character of, I think, the previous novel in James Elroy's L.A. Quartet um, is Buzz Meeks. And he's killed off in this one um, about halfway through the movie. They find him dead under the house, dead under so the porch. So smelly. So stinky. It's probably a rat, right? Yeah, great right. big one. That lady, um, come on, get out of here. <laughs> she's great. Mm, I love her. She's, she is hilarious, yeah. Um, and then... But in the in the book, he dies like in the prologue. <laughs> He's dead before the mm-hmm. before the story starts. And I think you know who kills him too. I think they straight up tell you who the name of the guy that kills him, and then you find out later that oh, that's an important. But again, Smith had also been a character in his previous novel. Like there's there's four novels. It's the block the Black Dahlia oh, Dudley. Yeah, because it probably I'll bet. Um, yeah, no, yeah, because. Mm. Sorry, I'll bet the other book, the previous book, I've never read it, nowhere. but I'll bet it I'll bet it has to do with the stuff that Buzz and Dudley were doing, the stuff they uncover at the end of them like running their racket when they were both just like dudes on the force. Yeah. I'm sure it probably has to do with that, right? It yeah. has to. I mean, yeah, Buzz Meeks is one of the main one of the three main characters in The Big Nowhere, which is the second book in the LA Quartet. Um and I think Smith, Dudley Smith, I think is the like like the chief of police or something but like yeah it the the this novel begins basically i'm i'm guessing with the fallout of the previous novel um oh he's an LAPD lieutenant at the end of the at the uh Dudley Smith is a, is a lieutenant at the end of the big nowhere so it's the black dahlia the big nowhere LA confidential and the last book is white jazz which features Ed Exley Guy Pierce's character and continues his story so, yeah, it's all it's all wrapped up in there. Honestly, I, I would have liked to have had more of Bud White, because even though on the surface he's kind of just like this ape of a man, mm-hmm. uh, I think that his character is complex in such an interesting way. Agreed. Because everything that he hates and everything that he fights against is what's inside of him. Mm-hmm. And he's not a good man, and he knows he's not a good man. I would argue none and of that's these people why, are. That's why he, well, some of them think they are. That's but the Bud problem. White, Bud White knows he's not a good man, and he knows that by not being a good man, maybe he could do some good on the police force, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. you know he loves going around like beating on dudes that beat on their wives. Yeah. Which is great, and then later in the movie... He starts beating up Kim Basinger and like that whole scene. Exactly. It's hard to watch. Yeah. Well, and the way he reacts to it is the hardest part because I think he realizes at that point that like he can never be in that kind of situation. The cycles of violence are himself. Yeah. 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 It's just handed down and he knows that there's no, there's no hope for him. So he might as well just beat up dudes that beat up ladies. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's in the novel, they kind of like hint at the fact that he kind of tends to eschew relationships with women longstanding, potentially out of the fear that he is latently somewhere deep down, not that different from his own father who beat his mother to death with a tire iron right in front of him. 
like that's fucked up shit but that's and again you can see how someone raised in that environment with that kind of upbringing would grow up to be that kind of fucked up yeah yeah i really enjoy uh the chemistry between the three main leads as well Mm -hmm. once they all kind of start getting friendly with each other and working together they're just bouncing off each other acting wise it's electric yeah i mean especially especially i mean with kevin spacey too but you know he doesn't really stick around that long after they all become pals no, uh, he's kind no. of he kind of goes <laughs> away and that is even though i know it's going to happen that shocks me every time when he turns around and shoots him yeah because it's just so it's out of nowhere man. and it's as soon as he says who else did you tell and he's like no one I'm, okay good you're dead yeah he was ready you know um, but uh, especially between Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce, when they get together, their energy is so like polar opposites of one another that somehow it just like sticks together like a magnet. Like I, I wish that this had spawned a bunch of like movies with Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce as like the leads. Definitely, because I could watch these two guys hash it out. For days. Russell Crowe says this is one of two movies uh, where he loved the character. He played in it so much that he wishes it had gotten sequels just so he could go back and play that character again. The other one being another future episode of this podcast, The Nice Guys. We will cover that one day. I'll finally get to see that. I've wanted to see it for so long. It's good, man. Everybody says it's amazing. I can't wait. Like the, the the best Shane Black movies are the ones he does in between big studio uh, movies where they're trying to get him in, in hooked into a franchise. But Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys are just so fucking good. And Russell Crowe is so good in The Nice Guys. He's absolutely unbelievable. But yeah, um, uh, I think one of the reviewers that I follow on Letterboxd said that this movie was like... Um, the Wizard of Oz, because uh, Guy Pierce gets the courage, um, Russell Crowe gets a brain, and uh, Kevin Spacey gets a heart. Hey, that's that's that tracks. That's good. I like that. I yeah. Like that a lot. So I mean, that, that's a it's a good read for this movie, uh, which I thought was uh, very well observed. And James Cromwell gets to be a, a nasty little villain after I, his performance in Babe. It's so wonderful. He is the most recognizable person in this movie at the time, and it's because of Babe. So when he turns out to be your cold-blooded killer at the end, it is actually a shock. Well, even even if you don't know that he's a bad guy, from the first time you see him, you know he's a bad guy. Because the first conversation he has is with Exley, where he's like, would you fucking be a piece of shit cop right. for justice? And that first conversation, you know exactly who this motherfucker is. You don't know and, he's the big bad, but no. you know exactly what kind of idiot this guy is. And in the you know the when when Russell Crowe comes in, he's like, oh well, he's the guy that can answer yes to all those questions that I've been asking you. Like you're just mm-hmm. until you know exactly who he is now as a result, and that's why he becomes the heavy, becomes the muscle for James Cromwell later in the film. Yep. And I really like speaking of justice. I like how they don't they only. Each of the three main characters says the word justice once, I believe, and it's always in relation to what they think justice is. And I thought that was a oh, really yeah, interesting, like centered, like synergy, symmetry of like. I, yeah, I had thought of that before, but yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. 
Each one of them only talks about justice once, and it's in relation to what they think it is, and it's not really brought up again. You know, you know what this means. Do you know what this means? I don't. Tell me. It means that with this new information, this new information, Brett is brought to light. New information has come to light, man. <laughs> that, that Sometimes I you need some fresh eyes. I will be testing out my new Blu-ray of LA Confidential very soon because yeah. I had never noticed that before. And that's I don't think I had either. Brilliant. That's great. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, also, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong and they bring up justice other times. I, yeah, Maybe I missed it. I would it, definitely but... let you know. Yeah. But no, I mean, um, also, but thematically, I like that quite a bit, actually. Um, yeah, no, I dig that. I love it. I'm really excited to do a deep dive into this Blu-ray because this DVD I've had for 20 years, like, I mean, like Warner Brothers cardboard. It's the little clamshell. Yeah. DVD. God, um, I hate those. I, I, I hate the cardboard cover ones. They annoy God. me. No, it's, yeah. It's very surprising that this is a one-sided disc. Usually, discs that come in packages like this had one side that was four by three, mm-hmm. and the other side was the original aspect ratio. Right. Uh, luckily, the this is only widescreen. Well, and then if they didn't have both, they would usually have to spell out on the cover if it was full screen or widescreen, and you should always buy the widescreen. Even if you don't have during... a widescreen TV, you always buy the widescreen. During the days of DVD, I would not allow anyone to buy me DVDs as gifts. Because grandma don't know widescreen from full screen, man. She don't give a shit. She's gonna pick up you the whole she's gonna pick up the whole Indiana Jones trilogy for you in full full screen. screen. Yeah, that's And you're like, Great grandma, what the fuck am I supposed to do with these? That's rough. That's real rough. Yeah, man. That, that's Fuck all that shit. You hate that. You really do. That it sounded like it was written by Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Influences, man. Influences. Yeah, you sounded like Randall. It was. It was hilarious. Well, that that <laughs> is that is an honor. I've that is an honor that I will accept. I appreciate that. Uh, but this this DVD, it doesn't have a lot of stuff. It has. Um, like a few behind the scenes things, like person going around with the camera or whatever. Um, but this Blu-ray has what they're calling a commentary, which with as many people who are listed for the commentary, I have to imagine it's just a round table table interview that they pay play while the movie is playing. Or it could be one of those things where they get everybody to like watch the movie and comment on it and not one of them had they, enough stuff to say, so they kind of they spice pick it out together. the best parts. Yeah, yeah. Like they did uh, with way, Armageddon or Monty Python and the Holy Grail, because you can't get the six of those or the five of those guys in a room together. Either way, it's going to be an interesting listen. Um, there are also some new special features, like some some um, retrospective documentary type nice. things on here. It has the TV series pilot. Now, I'm not sure if which that's one? the 2008 or the 2019 one. I'm not right. sure which one it is. Uh, the one with Kiefer Sutherland, I hope. That's the yeah. I was gonna say that's the two thousand three or eight. And then but. it has uh, vintage interviews with the cast. Um, yeah, it's just it's got a lot more stuff than I've ever had before. On like this disc, there's a few cool behind the scenes things, but it's like those ones that they'd show at the movie theater 
instead of a trailer, it would right. be like, let's see what's going on behind the scenes of the upcoming film, L.A. Confidential. Or like everybody's the ones like, it's really like... great, you know, we're all just out there, we're really hustling, we're trying to get the ball to the hoop, it's just, we just gotta make more points than the other team, and, you know. Yeah, the internet, the entertainment tonight, like, cover stories, or... Yes, yes. Yeah, the ones that would play, like, between movies on HBO or some shit, yeah. I'm glad they exist, but it's not ideal, is all I'm saying. No, it's not, it's not like an actual legit featurette, which Thanks is what you're trying. really looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you know, uh, you know, a DVD doesn't have a lot going for it when it lists interactive menus as one of the features <laughs> on the disc. Oof. What? It doesn't just start up. <laughs> I I always knew when I was even in the early days when I was shopping for DVDs, I, if, if I saw interactive menus as one of the special features, I was like, oof, they really didn't put a lot of effort into this, did they? And that's usually the case, yeah. Oh, um, and hey, this oh, yeah. this came this came with the digital code nice. as well that expired in 2014, but it worked. So guess what, say. you guys? It's on my Voodoo now, so you can watch yeah. it to your heart's content. Yeah, Hells yeah. Love that. Love that for all of us. And anybody um, else, there's there's probably a handful of other people that have access to my Voodoo account. <laughs> you all can watch it too. And if you're listening, you can watch that also. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about director Curtis Hansen. Do you guys know anything yes, else let's. that Curtis Hansen has directed? Uh, I will in a second. Uh, well, my internet is. <laughs> let me just oh, tell yeah, you. He directed 8 Mile. That was the one. Yes. Because Kim Basinger. There's the Kim Basinger connection. Uh, but he, he before this. I was actually, I was actually I'm sorry, Stephen. Um, I was actually describing this movie to someone last night. And I was like, and Kim Basinger's in it. And this kid was like, who's that? I was like, um, Eminem's mom. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> Generation gaps are fun. Um, yes. his, his big, I think his I big American break. older than this kid. Oof. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think his big American break is 92 with The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh, that uh, and was then one in, people liked. People yeah. liked that. And then in 94, he does The River Wild with Kevin Bacon. Um, this is 97 based on this. He gets the, he gets wonder boys in 2000. Um, which is and, also by what's his nuts, isn't it? Um, is it, let me pull it up here. Uh, that's Michael Chabon. The, but, uh, Cavaliers and Cavalier and clay guy. Okay. But that's Michael Douglas, uh, Toby Maguire. I think Robert Downey Jr. is in there. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Katie Holmes, Rip Torn. Yes, we've all seen it. Um, and then Eight Mile, of course, In Her Shoes, uh, Lucky You. And then the last movie he directed uh, is in 2012. So he's not directing anything for like a decade. A little movie called Chasing Mavericks with um, he, uh, Johnny Weston and Gerard Steven Butler. He hasn't directed anything, Stephen, because he died in 2016. That might be why. That would explain There it. you go. Mystery solved. R.I.P. But he didn't do anything in those last four years, so. Oh, he's just chilling. Yeah, I mean, he might have been, he might have actually had been, like, very sick. I don't, I don't know. Uh, natural causes, apparently, is how he died. He was he's just like, man. I'm ready, and closed his eyes, and then yeah. he's gone. Man had been around since nine, uh, 1945, so you know he he had a he had a good run. He hung in there. Oh, I'm I'm looking at his IMDb trivia. It says he retired due to Alzheimer's. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. So yeah, there we go. Uh, R.I.P. Kinda, Curtis Hansen. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I should probably read IMDb fair, more carefully before I open my mouth. To be fair, I did not know that he was dead either, but I just happened to see it on the IMDb while you were talking I, about how he hadn't done anything in so long. And yeah, well, yeah, and I, I probably should have uh, noticed that, but I <laughs> didn't. Um, hey, that's all right, man. And uh, then you've got fucking Kevin Spacey in this movie. God. I mean, we don't really have to discuss him at all. He was in this movie. Hooray. Like, I I believe I already encapsulated our opinion when I said, fuck Kevin Spacey. I said, fuck Kevin Spacey. Man, he's really good in this movie. That's about it. And I honestly, you could probably say that for a lot of his performances, too. Like, again, he was. Most of them, yeah. In the early 2000s, he was one of my he was one of my favorite actors. Oh, like I was a fan yeah. for sure too because he was he was delivering time after time, performance mm-hmm. after performance, and he just had a string of incredible films that he was incredible in. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can't blame anybody for loving Kevin Kevin Spacey at that time. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, no more. Uh, there's a reason he's half the reason we probably will not cover Superman returns on this podcast. The other half being he, who should, he, who must not be named who directed it. So. Oh yeah. 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 That guy. Yeah. We don't like him. We don't, we don't say not his name. Christopher McQuarrie. No, the other one, the bad one, Yeah, the other one, the one who does not guys, direct every Tom Cruise movie. Now you guys, I can't believe how successful Christopher McQuarrie has become. And I'm so happy for him, and I'm so proud of him, but nobody mentions The Way of the Gun. No. Nobody talks about The Way of the Gun. No. And I, I, have to, I have to research and find a way to get that movie on our main feed because Do I really you? want you guys to see it because it is a time capsule of filmmaking like you have never seen. It is such a product of its time like nothing else ever has been and not because of like you know the way people are dressed or like the technology they use but the way it's written the way it's filmed and the performances are extremely of that time and it's it's it is a sight to behold you guys you may not like it but you're going to be impressed that it exists he, I mean, he started writing for Tom Cruise in like 2008 uh, in the film directed by Hugh, Hugh Must Not Be Named, um, Valkyrie, and then got brought on to do Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow, and then Rogue Nation, I think was the one that he, or he, I think he did a pass on maybe one of the previous Mission Impossible movies, and Tom Cruise is like, see, this guy gets it. And then the next thing you know, he is writing and directing every Mission Impossible movie in a franchise that had historically up to that point been an auteurs franchise. Like they would bring in a new auteur every movie. And then as of Rogue Nation, we're like, nope, it's all Chris now. And that's pretty much what he does now. He's like Tom Cruise's right-hand guy. Him and Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise just hang out all the time. Yeah. And they don't talk about religion. Nor should they. Well, that's a, that's a real thing. Uh, I read an interview. I sent you guys the interview with Simon Pegg. I, I don't know that you guys read it or not. Uh, the one where I I sent a screenshot and circled the part where he said that pop culture is turning us into babies. Mm. And I was like, see, Simon Pegg gets it. Says I mean, the guy on a pop yes. culture podcast. But right. um, <clears throat> hey, I'm not saying I'm not guilty myself. I'm just pointing it out. I'm self 
I'm self-aware. Right. I mean, I and yeah, being self-aware is half the battle. G.I. Joe. He's playing all the Thank hits you. today. Thank He's you. playing Thank all the you. hits. Call it, call it, call Time back. Life presents <laughs> a 12 volume series. Oh god. Oh boy. But yeah. Good times, you guys. No, like, yeah, Chris McCory's career, wild. Wild the turns it's taken. Good for him. I'm so happy for him. I really am. Yeah. I mean, he deserves yeah. it. He's great. What a, He's what great. a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Yeah. Um, Kim Basinger won an Oscar for this movie. That's good. Uh, yeah. That's cool. That's that's pretty wild. Um, She's really great in this movie. Um, she is. And I don't, I don't want to besmirch her performance in this. Then don't. But even though I think she's great and she's perfect in the role and she does nothing wrong, how is she the person that wins the Oscar in this movie? Let's take a look. Brett, I'm sorry to have to do this, um, but let's take a look at that. This is everyone's favorite part of the show where Steven looks up shit in real time. I like this part of the show. Who doesn't really? He's talking about the Oscar talk. I'm really, you know, gonna leave. Yeah, that's Brett likes it when I look up information, not when I, um, not when I talk Oscars. Um, Hang on, Porquenolos dos. Porquois, Jeff. Porquois. All right, my name is Jeff. Nineteen hundred and ninety-seven. Okay. You're a bad so, dude, Brett. You're a bad dude. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been paying attention. I've been looking up information, so I don't know what was said. Uh, no, that's great. We're 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 filling dead air, so they don't have to do a bunch of editing later. Did that did he call me Jeff? Did. Is that what he called no, me? No, quoting Twenty One Jeff Street. Oh, okay. The film Twenty One Jeff Street. I mean, you know, the someone film. with a last name Fox, where they never gets called Jeff in any kind of context ever. So, um, you should be glad you're not a redneck. So here, who is nominated in '97 for sure. uh, best supporting actress? It is Give me the list. Kim Basinger, who does win for *LA Confidential*. Joan Cusack for *In and Out*, which is a great nomination. Um, she is so funny in that movie, and it's very rare that you get a comedy nomination in any category. Uh, you get Minnie Driver for *Goodwill Hunting*. You get Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights, which, again, is another great nomination. Yeah. Uh, And then you get Gloria Stewart for Titanic. Okay. I see what happened. I see what happened here. Now that you mention all those names, I understand why Kim Basinger got the the Oscar there. It's not because she gave the best performance out of all of those nominees. Which is what it should be. It's because people could not believe that performance came out of a supermodel. That's why she got that Oscar because nobody people were like, are you serious? How is this? How is she this good? Mm -hmm. How is this possible? This does not compute error 404. I have Internet connectivity problems. This doesn't (laughs) make sense. Uh, Yeah, because let me see what else she won for that role. Because, I mean, usually there's a lot of precursor wins leading up to that. Um, Oh, she won the Razzie in 2018 for Fifty Shades Darker. Fuck the Razzies. Um, oh, fuck the Fifty Shades series. Also. Um, also. Saying. 
she won she won the golden globe that year uh she also won the screen actors guild and the the cast of this film was nominated for best performance by a cast in a movie but did not win that year the screen actors guild award uh that year it was won by again googling things in real time love this for us what is Uh, it what is it you know what you know what? I kind of love that this movie is is what won in. Oh no, that's the year after. Damn it! Am I going to be mad? What is it? No, it was. I it was. I was. I was looking at the wrong year. I was looking at the year before, which was uh, the Birdcage. Is what won the year before? Uh, no, would have been mad. Uh, the Full Monty is what won, which I've not actually seen, so I can't. I, I cannot do, speak you to know, how good I that really, cast is. really wish that people could see my face right now. I wish they could too. Did they watch L.A. Confidential? I mean, they must have. Like, how? I mean, you want to say fuck the Razzies. I feel like you could fuck the Oscars just as bad. Like, this, this, they're just the shitty. Just do away with all the war jokes. That's true. Um, but, I mean, you grounded the, us once again. The, the, big, the big precursor to the Oscars is usually the SAG, and she won the SAG. So that usually is, generally speaking, with a few exceptions, the person that wins the SAG has the Oscar on lock. Jamie Lee Curtis this year is a great example. Should Jamie Lee Curtis have probably won Best Supporting Actress this year? Probably not. But she did. And I'm glad she did. But she was very surprised. And I think a lot of other people were as well. Brett, you're going to have to remove at least one of those cats because having them both on the screen at the same time is like a cuteness overload. And I'm just about I, to pass out i think tucker just short-circuited i think he just i did a little bit because i saw sorry. i saw this one up here and i was like oh they're taking turns on the back of the chair then homeboy popped up over here and i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> too much kidding i love you too uh but i mean yeah kim basinger up to this point um yeah was probably best known as as a model um she 1989 Batman, of course, probably being, you know, the big one, but nine and a half weeks in 86, I, I guess I shouldn't say I, best known as a model because she actually had quite a bit of a career up to this point. But I think that she had been giving the kind of performances and Batman included that you would expect from a supermodel. No disrespect to supermodels, but most of them, it, it's a thing where usually when you see a supermodel in a the movie, they're not very good at acting. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a thing that happens. It's a stereotype. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. But up to that point, she had been giving the kind of... They were fine. They're okay, you know, for a supermodel. But then she comes and blows it out of the water in this movie, and people are like, this is so impressive, the fact that this woman is a supermodel and she gave this performance, that we are going to give her this Oscar over all of these other performances. And also weirdly like a most improved award award, you know, they should give those out at the Oscars most improved. (laughs) Weirdly, the, the role for women that wins that, that is most nominated for an Oscar is um, call girl. Interestingly. Um, So it's almost like, Oh my God, how can, how can someone play a person like this? And so they tend, women tend to get nominated when they play call girls. It's also like men, tend to get nominated when they play developmentally disabled, um, which is fucking weird. Gross. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. But like, you know, Sean Penn, Dustin Hoffman, like it, mm, it Sean happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. But they get the nominations. That's, that's the issue. 
Yeah. Oh, we're entering again. Fuck the Oscars. Fuck award shows. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Them all. Once Why again, do we need them? You. We don't need them. We don't need them anymore. I mean, Hollywood. It's a fun just, bit of pageantry, you know. The, I think so. The fun thing I learned about the Oscars this year is that they were actually used as a way to try to like break down the uh, the, uh, the the unions forming in Hollywood for a way for the oh, studios to kind of that. like tear down the unions. I like, really can, fucking hate that. We can give them like some puffed up award show thing, and that'll like keep them from like fighting for you know fair oh, wages and rights and things. That's the Hollywood equivalent of an office pizza party. Right? Exactly. Yep. The yeah, Oscars yeah, are yeah. essentially. Yeah, the the Oscars are essentially the Hollywood equivalent of a pizza party. Oh, it's okay that we're paying you shitty wages and not giving your residuals, but look, you guys, we got pizza. Right. So we support the writer strike, <laughs> um, and if there is an impending actor strike, we support that too. And unions in general, you guys, right. workers' rights. Absolutely. I'll drink to that. I'll tr- I, if I had more beverage, I would drink to that also. I'll have two drinks for you. One for you, Stephen. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You're welcome. But yeah, I mean, look, I, this is kind of, I think, one of those movies. This, it, it, Like, what do you say about a movie this good? Like, Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Really? Like, figure out what we're talking about. Again, this like... Is, I think this is a movie that uh, it's a... Even though it's a very unique film, I feel like it's also very, very accessible. I feel like agreed. you could show pretty much anybody this movie. It's not like a nine-year-old child mm-hmm. and they would at least walk away from it saying, yeah, that was really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard well, to say uh, any bad thing about it. It's very well made at all. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly well made. It's well acted, well directed. Again, I, I would say the, the filmmaking is not as dynamic as I would like for it to be. But like, there's some split diopter shots that just kind of floored me in this movie. Like, there there are elements where it really kind of comes together and turns into something really special. But by and large, I thought the filmmaking was mostly pretty stock standard. Nothing well, too special. Well, and that was uh, what I read about actually a couple of days ago. I was looking at some stuff, and I read that that was intentional because they were trying to let the tone and the performances mm. do all the heavy lifting. They didn't want people to be too too focused on the period pieceiness of it you know right. what i mean I, I read that too like they they said you know we want to put these period touches in there but put them all in the background don't and they wanted to them, be very yeah. very straightforward in the way that they shot it in a very modern like i said straightforward kind of way they didn't want they wanted it to look good but they didn't want it to look so good that it was distracting to like the tone and the performance of the film, right? The performances of the film is what. Yeah, you don't always need cinema. Sometimes it's just a good movie. Well, yeah. and I mean, yeah, I, and I think some of that, like, if you just shot the whole thing in black and white with like the very stark noir lighting, that might that would have probably been too much, right? But like, you know, yeah. just but again, it it feels like it's got a lot in common, but maybe a little less interesting than maybe Brian De Palma's The Untouchables from a few years before. Like just it, yeah. it it feels very much a piece of like that. Color color grading is very similar. It, right. it they they look very similar. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I love the Untouchables, by the way. Love oh movie. yeah, same. Um, great movie. Uh, despite Kevin Costner as the lead, as you guys know, I'm not a fan of Kevin Costner, but no, yes, great yes. great movie. And um, yeah, it's yeah, it's real good. I love the Untouchables. 
Uh, you know, I think what is what is that, Brett? Do you have your Xbox 360 and or PS3 on over there in the corner? What's that all about? Oh, I might this this little thing. Oh, yes. Yeah, what's that? What's that all about? Well, it's funny you say that, Tucker, uh, because there was a little game that came out in 2011 that might as well be L.A. Confidential, the video game uh, called L.A. Noir. Um, where you also play as a altruistic beat cop who gets promoted to detective and works his way up through the force and exposes a deep drug conspiracy in the process. So yeah, it's too bad they couldn't have got the rights and had uh, some of these actors come in and do the voices. Not to say that cool. Rockstar didn't cast wonderful people to do the job. It's just yeah. it would have been cool to have that connection. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is, it's really well, well acted, well um, animated, because it was one of the first games to use that, like, full 3D face modeling and whatnot, um, because a big part of the game is finding evidence and interviewing suspects, and you have to figure out, based on your notes um, and their facial expressions, if you... Yeah, how they believe, act and stuff. Yeah, yeah, how they act and stuff if you believe what they're saying or not. Um, so that's where the, it became a meme after a while is press X to doubt is kind of where that came from. Which um, I've seen that meme. I just had no idea what it was from. It, it's yeah. such a unique game. It kind of like started a genre, started and ended an entire genre with one game. There's never been a sequel. There have never been any games like it. No. I mean, I'm sure some games have taken little bits of inspiration here and there, but there's never been anything where you're like, oh, yeah, that's like L.A. Noir." Is that available on PC? Because I would actually probably be interested in playing that. Uh, well, it's probably on so. Steam, right? Yeah, Let's I'm look sure that up is, yeah. in real time. Um, yes. I mean, they've done a lot of re-releases and remasters, so one of those has probably found its way on Steam for sure. Okay, yeah, right on. It is, it is currently available for Windows, so yes. Oh, right on. Right Hell on. yeah. yeah. So that might be something I have to look into. I'm not a big game guy, but that... Feels very much up my alley, honestly. Um, because I well, love... I mean, there is. I will warn you, there is also like it, the in between interviews and clue collecting. Mm -hmm. It's GTA style video game play. So, so it's like, like open world kind of open world. Yeah, you're driving. You you yourself are driving from place to place. Um, there's also shootouts when you confront a suspect or you know somebody that's running away. So there's shootouts with various weaponry. Um, you know, you can shoot people's hats off. It's great. Right on. So, so yeah. you know, I mean, that yeah. does, it does sound kind of fun. I, I would have to probably get used to the, to the gameplay on that, but yeah, the, the hand-eye coordination, not great, but yeah, right on. Yeah. No. So yeah, that one's, is really good. I believe there's a like ultimate edition that they released eventually. that has all the DLC, yeah, it's been re-released and remastered so many times. There's definitely a version that is compatible with the current generation of consoles and probably souped up pretty well for PC as well. Okay, yeah. cool. And what's cool is like the, the DLC was like five separate missions from the main storyline that are all based on like movies from the 40s. Oh, nice. So nice. Yeah, there's like, um, what is it? The Naked City. One is the the Black Dahlia, Reefer Madness. So, yeah. 
It's very cool. Check it out. I've I've never played the DLC. I might actually. I hadn't thought about this game in years. Honestly, I rented it when it initially came out, and I like my roommate worked at the video store, so I got to keep it a little longer. And I finished it, and then I just I haven't played it since then. So probably like two months after it came out was the last time that I played it. I really want to play that DLC now, though. I haven't really thought about it. I'm yeah, I'm pumped. I might just uh, once again buy a game while we're recording a podcast. I'm very good at making you buy games. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't played Killer Frequency yet, but that's only because I haven't had a lot of time to play games, and I'm really trying to get through Sonic Frontiers, which I sure. have cleared the first part, the first world of Sonic Frontiers, and it was very satisfying. Nice. Very nice. Um, as to why we're covering this movie on this podcast, uh, in addition to being part of a quadrilogy, uh, the original novel was um so there was a sequel to the original novel which they could have expounded on actually there was a film made of the first book in the la quartet uh brian de palma's not to reinvoke brian de palma but brian de palma's the black dahlia black dahlia yeah but it had nothing to do with josh hartnett uh but it had nothing to do with this movie like um none of the characters none of the um none of the uh, actors returned to play those roles anything um, but what we do have is it was confirmed in October of 2020, it looks like, that uh, Brian Helgeland, the uh, Academy Award-winning screenwriter for this film, uh, did confirm that there had been a sequel in development prior to the death of Chadwick Boseman, which would have featured uh, Boseman as a uh, an L.A. cop um, in the same world in the 70s, I think. And then Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce would have both come back and played Bud White and Edmund Exley, respectively. Um, but with the death of Chadwick Boseman, that one kind of fell by the wayside. So there was certainly there were there were opportunities that presented themselves where that could have been a sequel, but it didn't end up happening. And so we're discussing it here on this podcast, which is what we do. If they ever come around and decide to make it again with maybe another actor in the lead. We'll cover it because we covered this one. So I think Tucker might be against that, though. Well, yeah, that's oh, time for the segment that we haven't named that we haven't done for a long time and we forgot to name it, but we're doing it now. So shut the hell up. But then we also forgot to do it for a couple months after we remembered it the first time. So we're back to doing it again. So also shut up. There you go. Really, bottom you. line, just shut up. <laughs> shut up. Just kidding. We love you. We do. Anyway, yeah, Tucker, does this deserve a sequel? Would you want to see a sequel? Uh, it doesn't need one, um, but I would watch one. And if uh, if the creative team was consistent with the first film, I would want it to be an all-or-nothing kind of thing. I would want everybody, the entire cast, to come back, and I would want the entire behind the scenes crew like the writer director music stuff like cast? that well i mean if this were going to get a sequel it would have been before we found out kevin spacey was a creep so yes the entire cast even though kevin spacey died in this one yeah, so I don't think he's, he's not coming, coming back, back anyway ding dong no worries he comes back he's like i'm a ghost a 1950s cop ghost ghost we're ghosts. I I think I agree. I don't I don't think it needs a sequel, but 
Um, I would probably watch one if they made one. Even especially now, I would watch was, one if they made one. Especially if it were, you know, the same creative team and uh, players. Yeah. For sure. I mean, obviously, sure. Curtis Hansen wouldn't be available, but, you know, you can get... Uh, no. No, but if you can get back um, Russell Crowe, and again, Russell Crowe seems like he would be on board to return oh, yeah. to this world and this character, and I... I I would I would like to think that Guy Pierce would as well, honestly. Yeah, probably. I can't imagine he wouldn't. Yeah. LA Confidential opens on September nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven, just in time for Oscar season. Uh, it opens number four that week. It opens to five point two million dollars on uh, just a little shy of eight hundred screens. So it's going to it they're platforming it so it'll open wider over the next few weeks and make more money back. It does ultimately make on a 35 million dollar production budget goes on to make 34.6 million domestic, another 61, I'm sorry, 64.6, another 61.6 international for a Not worldwide bad. box of 126 million dollars, which pretty good. That's a hit. Not bad. Yeah. Um, it again opens fourth the weekend that it comes out in first place, a movie that is also Oscar nominated in the same category that Kim Basinger was, uh, in and out, uh, the number one movie in America, it's first week. So, you know, I'd love to see that a movie about whether or not Kevin Klein is gay is the number one movie in America. I think that's great. Love. I just remember the poster. Mm hmm. Just all white. And he's just all like. He's dancing. You know who directed In and Out? You did? No. Do you know who did? No. Who did? Tim Burton. Frank Oz. <laughs> oh, now I have to see it. Yeah. I'm Fozzie sorry, Bear, Miss Piggy. I really loud and it hurt your ears. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I got really excited. <laughs> I was really close to the microphone. Uh, in second place, a movie that Tucker and I talked about fairly recently. Uh, a little film by a little director named David Fincher called The Game. He's so little. David Fincher is, is famously short. <laughs> you said the a little like, director. You said that. Much like well, Danny DeVito. I knew Danny DeVito was short, but like in the, the first few scenes oh where he's standing God. next to everybody in the crowd, that man is he's tiny like as at, fuck. He's like at their waist. <laughs> they have to have Kevin Spacey sit down so they can have like a face-to-face yeah. conversation. Right. Yeah, he is. He is probably like what four nine. I think he's definitely under five feet for sure. Yeah, for sure. I was. Yeah, like I said, I know he was short, but I was still taken aback. Uh, Legend. But but yeah, the game. David Fincher's the game in second place. Oh, I love that movie too. I know you do. Uh, In third place, uh, a little movie called Wes Craven's Wishmaster. A movie that Wes Craven did not direct, but his name is in the title. Good for him. That that movie was fun. Uh, As we said, L.A. Confidential in fourth. And in fifth place, another Academy Award nominated film. It won the SAG for Best Ensemble that year. It's The Full Monty, uh, which is also, oh no, that one's been out for about six weeks and is holding steady right around five. Uh, Very small release window on that. Um, It just actually platformed up, added another close to 300 theaters and is still holding steady at fifth. So uh, rounding out the top 10, you've got a thousand acres. What if there were a thousand acres? Um, A little movie called GI Jane where uh, Demi Moore shaved her head. 
Uh, in eighth place, Money Talks, the uh, Charlie Ooh, Sheen, Chris, Chris Tucker, Tucker. And Charlie Sheen. I yeah. love that movie. It's not. It's no nothing to lose, even though it's one of those situations where two very similar premises, uh, black guy, white guy, buddy comedies came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. Nothing to Lose is the superior film, but Money Talks is really funny. Really, really funny. Nice. Nothing to Lose, of course, with Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence. Right, of course. Uh, and then we've also got in ninth place, Air Force One, Get Off My Plane. Ooh, I like that movie, too. Yeah, it's good. And in 10th place, Fire Down Below. So I don't yeah. know what the fuck that is. Nope, me neither. And I don't care enough to find out. Um, the Tomatometer score on LA Confidential is a 99% certified <laughs> You're fresh. damn right it is. Critics' consensus, taut pacing, brilliantly dense writing, and Oscar-worthy acting combined to produce a smart, popcorn-friendly thrill ride. Hell yes. Uh, the meta score is a everyone. 91. It is a Metacritic must-see as well. Universal right claim based on 28 critic reviews. And the letterbox score is a 4.1. Tucker, I don't think we need to ask, but we're going to. Out of five stars, how do you rate LA Confidential? How many stars above five do I get? Like, do I have bonus stars? No. We'll cap it at five for the average anyway. Five plus. It's like an A plus. (laughs) It's it's a five plus. (laughs) Brett, what about yourself? Four and a half. That's what I gave it as well. Four and a half for me as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. Like, it, hard to hard to argue with this one. It's it's just real real good, and probably one oh. of the better, probably one of the best ones we've covered for this podcast so far. Honestly, like, it's just real real good. I mean, outside of Pootie Tang, yeah, I agree with you. Well, right, outside I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, Pootie Tang. Tang. Mm. Yeah. Did you eat something? What was that? For some. Sucker, you might appreciate this. For some weird reason, I don't know why, I get random songs stuck in my head sometimes when I haven't heard them in forever. I mean, I will randomly get shit stuck in my head that I haven't listened to or actually, you know, heard in years. Um, For some reason, in the shower earlier, I had, uh, was it Dirty D's song stuck in my head? (laughs) Make them say, oh... Wait, that one or the oh, the actual Dirty D song? Yeah. Ah, yes. His his theme song, as it were. Low down and dirty, boy, you know what I'm about. I had that stuck in my head for God knows why. I don't know why. I call those songs forgettables because you you forget they exist until they until either you hear them or they pop in your head apropos of nothing. So yeah, they're they're just songs that exist and. You do, but you don't remember they exist until they just pop back in your head like that. You so. know, we didn't talk about it, and we probably have no right to talk about it on something as insanely good as L.A. Confidential's episode. But the soundtrack to Pootie Tang has got some bangers on it. Southern Girl by Erica Badu, featuring Rozelle from The Roots. I still have that song steady on my main playlist. Bunch of bangers on that soundtrack. There you go. You heard it here on our Boys LA Confidential I episode. Be your man. Come on, you guys. Yes, LA Confidential. Go, go check out the Pootie Tang. check out the Pootie Tang soundtrack. Uh, buy the Pootie Tang soundtrack. Also, watch LA Confidential. Not at the same time. 
Why don't they do that? Maybe, look, maybe it's like a Pink Floyd situation. Well, like, and they they sync up the dark side of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> or so, yeah, they, they sync up. Let's do it, you guys. Let's do it. <laughs> let's let's make it's, it a Patreon thing. Let's do it. It's let's movie do it for science the time, you guys. Movie science. So, yeah, absolutely. I love this for us. I'll write that theme with the theremin. Ooh. Oh, God. It'll be good times. I this have one. Is I just have to fix it. The LA Confidential episode of the Disenfranchised Podcast. You can find us on all of the social medias at Pod. I don't know how much longer Twitter is going to be a thing, so I don't know how much longer we're going to be on it. But for right now, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook is where you can find us. And YouTube. And YouTube as well, lest we forget. Uh, go listen to our Chipmunk Adventure episode on YouTube, please. Or or don't. I don't care. But maybe you should. Oh, no, definitely listen to it. It's it's really good. Our, our pals no, I mean, from High on the Cartoons. Definitely listen to that episode, regardless of where. But if you could listen to it on YouTube, go for it. No, but definitely do it, listen to that episode. It fucking sucks. It's a good episode. Neither Brett nor I were there for completely no. different reasons, but it is a solid episode. No, it was the same reason. You were you were taking, making, taking a race around the world to leave uh, misbegotten, disenfranchised merchandise all over the globe. Oh, yeah, that. I forgot that we mm-hmm. had done that. Yep, that's a thing you guys both did. <laughs> At least that's where I said you were on that episode. It was so successful. It. Wow, we had such a good time. Yeah, adventure. doing that <laughs> with each other. Um, you you or should separately. Definitely... I'm not sure what the implication is. I don't know. Did we Race go around... together? Or did we like split up and go separate ways so we? Could You're cover the ones that did it. You How would know. What's the lore here, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, Stephen. You guys, you know what? You guys figure it out. <laughs> Okay. I am tired. <laughs> tired of being desired. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> What's that like? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Ask young Frankenstein. Um, I do. While while we're on the subject, I do want to talk about uh, our two new patrons. We got some new patrons this uh, in the past couple of weeks. Dose we, Patrons. Dose Patrones. Um, we have, uh, it looks like, uh, two new patrons it is uh, Norvin, Norvin Klein, uh, welcome, and uh, past and future guest friend of the show, Mandy Gossage, is also a patron. So, Hell yeah, welcome. You know, you know what I think it is. I think, um, I think that they did the trial and then forgot to cancel it. That's I don't care. I I'm happy that I'm now, happy here's the thing. here. I regularly talk to Norvin on Instagram, and I did. He did say he was going to join the Patreon. So, hell yeah. yeah, hell yeah. Welcome on in, sir. Send us, Norman, some, send us letters. Mandy, we welcome. want to read your letters. Yeah. Uh, letters. So join our Patreon, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. I think I'm just going to leave the free trial up for a little bit and see if anyone else wants to wants to plug in on it, that. Steven. Absolutely. Can't wait till you do. So get that free taste of uh, of disenfranchised goodness behind that paywall. Um, and then shoot us an email. Let us know what you think of what we're doing. If there's anything you want to see us cover, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Or if you just want to say hi and introduce yourself, you can do that as well. Uh, but hit us up there also. And, you know, I said before that I thought that it was just they forgot to cancel it. But honestly, you guys, seven days for a trial. There's Not so much content on that Patreon. So much. Time. So much. Couldn't get through it. Weeks. Weeks worth. No, absolutely. You could probably never stop listening to it over the course of a week and still not get through all of it. So, so th- this we're encouraging you to do this, but here is the warning: you might, you might find that you just haven't got through enough of it, and now you have to pay us. Mm-hmm. And we're sorry for that. 
I'm but not. also give us money. Yeah. Give us your money, please. Buy my book. Um, I actually do have a short story <laughs> that you could buy on Amazon, but that was not I want to buy your short it. story. What is it? I want to buy it. What is it? It's called Henry Jacobs and the Three Nasty Nose Pickers. <gasps> what? Yeah. What is this? It's it's a short story. It's if you if you if you put my name into Amazon, you will find it. It is there. If you type Stephen Foxworthy into Instagram, you will or into Amazon, you will find it. Self publishing at its finest. Yep. Uh, thanks to a friend of the show and patron JP Leck for the advice on publishing that. Uh, that was years ago. I published that like two or three years ago. I found um, it. There it's you go. Free. Is it free? Uh, would you have yeah. Kindle Unlimited? If you have Kindle Unlimited, yes. Yeah. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it is free. Otherwise, it is 99 cents. I would like a hard cover with a dust jacket, if that's possible. Signed I would by also, the author. I would also love that, but I, I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Um, unless I maybe hey, it am has able to write four and a half. More. Look, you got four and a half stars, six ratings. Most of them are five stars. Most of them are probably from me and my friends. Well, I can't wait to read this. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I can't believe you never told me about this before. I mean, I had posted about it on social media a lot once I first put it out, but I, you, you're not a big social media guy, so I can see. I don't give a fuck about that shit. You can also find our podcast on Amazon. Apparently, when you type in my name, you get our podcast also. So, only up to a certain amount of episodes. There's a couple mm. platforms that like we used to be on for like the first five episodes, and then we just haven't been on. Oh, that's weird. But it's like weird ones that nobody uses, like Amazon. Who gets their podcast from Amazon? Yeah, I don't five know. Five people. Right. Yeah. Five people. Very it's true. It's like I keep getting those emails. It's like, oh, you've got Prime. You don't use your Prime music. I'm like, yeah, because it fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Nobody uses Prime music. Word. Get out of my face with that shit. Yeah. Spotify for live Bitch. YouTube music with the free premium. I've never seen an ad on YouTube. Good night. Nice. Lucky you, oh. man. I've seen far too many. You're one of the suckers about yeah, YouTube Premium. Yeah, there you go. It's am I am I a sucker though? Because look at this. I get your standard all the songs that you have on Spotify, plus all the songs that are not on Spotify that are on YouTube proper. I can listen to in YouTube music as a song, not a video. Plus, it comes with premium, which means that I can support some of my favorite creators without spending any more money than i am on the subscription because i'm grandfathered in because i started with youtube music a long time ago i pay 10 bucks a month for all of this i've never seen an ad on youtube uh, my favorite creators get money every month extra money because i select them to be like my people to get money and you know the music streaming i'm just saying Fuck music streaming, first of all, but YouTube music is the shit. That's all I'm saying. Also, fuck YouTube and fuck Google and fuck all those motherfuckers, but also YouTube music. This episode could easily be subtitled Tucker fucks the world. Yeah, fuck everybody, but also. And, it all started with Kevin Spacey, man. And speaking of places where you can find this podcast, make sure that you leave <laughs> us a nice five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your pod- podcast to let everyone know, A, that you love us, and B, that they should be listening to us also. Because they should. 
they should. should. Uh, the quality of this episode, notwithstanding. No, I'm just kidding. This has what? been a great episode. I'll bet it's going to be. I can't wait to edit it because I had a lot of fun making it and I want to listen to it again. Which, I mean, coincidentally, gonna, I'm going to do as soon as we're done recording because after. I have no other time to do it before here Thursday. In, here in mere moments. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, you can find us. Uh, you can find me, your host, Stephen Foxley. Hi, that's me on uh, Instagram, Letterboxd, and uh, Twitter at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on socials these days? You can find me on Instagram at Letterboxd, rating and reviewing lots of weird horror movies. It's us yeah. underscore Warlock. Right on. Tucker, what about yourself, sir? Uh, I'm on the YouTubes uh, at the usual spot at Einstein09, I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero, <gasps> and the number nine. I'm also yeah. on the Insta scams with my mugs. Mm-hmm. Things have been a little slow of late with the mugs, but only because it's just it's been really hot. It's been really hot out here and I don't drink hot drinks when it's hot out. It's hot out here for a pimp. Yeah. I'll drink drink some cold brew out of a mug. Look, I do it every day. Uh, let me let me let me tell you what I told my coworker the other day. When I make hot coffee and it gets cold, I throw it away. Nope. Why would I not want the coffee to start cold? It's not the same. I either throw it away or I put it in a pan and put it on my stove and reheat it. Because that's what they did in Fargo season two. Cold brew is not the same as cold coffee. It is not I believe the same. You. But I'll bet it tastes enough like cold coffee that I'll be like, nah. It does not, but that's fine. And and right. Tucker's uh, Tucker's Instagram handle is. I will also never eat an avocado. I haven't for 40 years and I never will. It's uh, Tuck underscore Mugs. Tuck underscore Mugs. Hey, I wanted to real quick. Um, I did find out a way to make videos longer than 10 minutes on my editing program. So uh, when I have some time, I'm really going to try and do some more of the preservation stuff. I had put that on hold for quite a while. I would just like to announce to the world that I am getting the ball rolling on returning to that very soon within the next couple of months. Hell yeah. Right on. I'm glad. I'm actually very glad to hear that. Girl, me too. Girl, me too. And that is all we've got for 1997's LA Confidential. What a, what a great movie. Seriously. Um, yeah. So for the Disenfranchised Podcast, uh, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-hosts, Brett Wright and Tucker. Until next time, just the facts. Bum, ba-dum, bum. There you go. Bum, ba-dum, bum, you guys, we're going to have to cover the Dan Aykroyd, Tom Hanks dragnet one day. I just want to make wait. you guys aware yes, of that. Can't wait. Can't wait. I'm way into it. I've actually seen it and I kind of like it. Or at least awesome. I remember liking it. Cool.